Okay, welcome everybody. Wednesday night Bible study back in uh, in Bible study room. Uh, so just so you know, little housekeeping item: we are uh, doing our uh, recording in the in the Bible study room, so you can come back to Bible study like we've been doing before if you feel comfortable enough to come in. Uh, and then once we do the Bible study seven to eight, then it'll be uh, uploaded onto the uh, web page. Uh, so we can get it uh, that way. So, uh, where we're at is in the book of Acts. We've been doing the Gospels for the last uh, 20 some weeks. And so now we're going to be in the Acts of the Apostles. That's the official name of, of the book of Acts. Some people say the book of Acts, but the official title is the Acts of the Apostles. And so basically it covers about the first 30 years of the church. So in other words, the Acts of the Apostles. What did the Apostles do after Jesus left? So when you're reading when you're reading Acts, that's what you're getting. You're getting what did the first church do? What did the early church do? How did we uh, uh, put things together? Uh, and the theme really is evangelism. Because, you know, which is the overriding theme of, of the Gospels and the overriding theme of what the church is supposed to be doing anyway is evangelism. But you'll see how the early church grew. And then also you'll find how the early church was put together, the structure, the way we do church. There's a reason we have deacons. There's a reason we have elders or pastors or teachers. Uh, It's all in the book of Acts. So Acts shows us all of that. And uh, so... The author is Luke, the same Luke who wrote uh, the Gospel according to Luke. Originally, uh, the original manuscripts, Luke and Acts, were all one manuscript. It was same same author. And the time frame is uh, about uh, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. The time frame is about 33 A.D. to 62 A.D. In other words, it's right from Jesus' ascension, where he goes back to heaven, and then the first 30 years of the church, up to about uh, the year 62. Uh, What you don't get is you don't get Paul's death, because where the book of Acts ends, Paul is still alive. So you don't get any of that. You don't get, you get a couple of martyrs in there, but you don't get... Uh, the first century martyrs and stuff like that, because again, it's only the first thirty years of the uh, uh, of the New Testament period. Uh, so, on your outline, you can see that I put down survey of Acts, and I'm just going to briefly go through this before we go to Scripture. But for the first two years, uh, they just witness in Jerusalem. So that's from chapter 1 to chapter 8. That's, that's two years of, of history right there. Uh, they're just witnessing in Jerusalem. Uh, then after that, then they start spreading out. Uh, they start going up into Judea and Samaria. Uh, and that covers about 12 years of history from chapter 8 to chapter 12. So right there, when you read first 12 chapters, it's 14 years of history. And I say that because sometimes we don't realize when we're reading it, we don't realize that uh, uh, how much time is going by, or maybe how little time is going by. So that goes on there. Then after that, you have the missionary journeys, which are very important. Paul does three different missionary journeys. And uh, again, missionary, he's there to preach the gospel. He's there to evangelize. He's there to, to plant churches. He's there to visit churches that have just been started. So next week and the weeks after, I'll give you some maps and stuff so you can see exactly where he went. But Paul's first missionary journey, he goes to Antioch and Cyprus, which is right above uh, Israel. Antioch is the second church that was established. First church was established in Jerusalem. Second church is in Antioch. Then Paul's second missionary journey, he goes to Philippi, Thessalonica, 
in uh, Corinth. His third missionary journey, he goes to uh, Galatia, and then he goes to uh, Ephesus. So right there you can see some familiar names, uh, because what happens is, during that time frame, between the first missionary journey and uh, Paul's trials there at the end, are when all the epistles are written. So in other words... Uh, Philippians is written, Galatians is written, Ephesians is written, James is written, uh, Peter's letters are written, uh, Timothy's written. All, all of that stuff take place right around the time of the missionary journeys up to the end there. Uh, Paul's trials, uh, what goes on in chapter 21 to chapter 27. Uh, so, from chapter 13 to chapter 28, it's 14 years. So witness in Judea and Samaria. Well, witness in, in Jerusalem, the witness Judea and Samaria, that's 12 years of history. Then the rest of it, from that's 14 years of history, from Paul's first missionary journey to the end of Acts is another 14 years roughly. Okay? So it's close to 30 years. Uh, all, all told there. But during the missionary journeys, this is when Paul is writing his letters to the church. And then also at the end, Paul, we find out that Paul gets arrested a couple times and he writes a couple letters from uh, from prison. He's under house arrest and later on he's in arrest uh, in Rome. So any thoughts, questions on that before we go into the actual scripture? The uh, Basically, it's it's historical. It's a historical narrative is what we're going to be reading. This is what happened. And so, you know, your Bible's not put together chronologically. If you want to read your Bible in chronological order, you would read Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Nehemiah, Ezra and then Nehemiah. That gives you the history of the Old Testament. Then you read the Gospels and Acts. That gives you the entire historical narrative. So in other words, uh, uh, 11 books in the Old Testament and then uh, 5 books in the New Testament. And what's interesting is that covers about 2100 years of history. Uh, and so where we are from Jesus' birth is about 2,100 years, roughly. So from Genesis chapter 12 to now, it's about 4,200 years, so historically. So you know the, the, uh, the time frame there. So again, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, uh, Ezra, and Nehemiah. That's the Old Testament story. You read it in that order you won't get confused on the timeline because other other books are put in there. And so when you read them, you get a little sidetracked. But if you read those 11 books in that order, you will get the whole narrative and then the Gospels and Acts. So then you have the entire history uh, that the Bible is showing. So, Acts chapter 1. will be in Acts chapter 1 today. Verse 1 and 2. Luke says, The first account I composed, Theophilus. We're not sure who Theophilus was. Uh, uh, in Luke, he calls him most excellent Theophilus. That means he was someone that was uh, well-known, someone of prestige. And uh, uh, so he was. he's uh, mentioning his name there. We don't know if this person, you know... Uh, wanted an account or whatever happened, yada, yada. But uh, he mentions him twice, and Luke mentions him in, in Acts. So he says, the first account, which means Luke, the gospel according to Luke, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the gospels, right? Until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, so he's just picking up the narrative in Acts. So where the Gospels end, Acts chapter 1 begins. 
So verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So right here we find out something we don't find out in the Gospels. Jesus taught for 40 days after the resurrection. Before he ascended, uh, he taught for 40 days. So, uh, think about that for a second. We're talking about someone that's been raised from the dead. For 40 days, he's teaching them. Uh, uh, and he appears to them. And the, you know, the account of witnesses that saw Jesus alive is quite a few. We do not have any historical records that claim uh, Jesus did not live or he was not crucified. And we do have a historical record from Josephus who talks about uh, Jesus being resurrected. Uh, but we do not have any historical narrative that said Jesus never happened. We don't have that. So if you try to search historical records uh, from what we have, you don't have that. So he taught for 40 days. Uh, he, he appeared to them uh, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So what was important to Jesus? The kingdom of God. But what's the kingdom of God? It's what he brought through salvation. He, does, he doesn't bring the church. The church are the people that gather in his name. So right now, technically, in this room, in the Bible study, those of us that are here, we're the church, right? Or on Sunday morning, we gather together, we're the church. Or if we go out and do something in community, we are the church. It means the called out ones or the gathered ones. But what we enter uh, through salvation is the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus brought, is the kingdom of God. So he's teaching them concerning the kingdom of God. And I labor this because sometimes we teach about the church where we should be teaching about the kingdom of God. Because what makes up the church is what happens in the kingdom of God. Okay? So you hear a lot about the church this, the church that, but you don't hear as much about the kingdom of God. But here, Jesus spent 40 days doing what? Teaching about the kingdom of God. So it's important to us to understand what the kingdom of God is and, um, and, and how we enter it, obviously, through salvation. So that's going to be one of the underlining themes uh, in the Acts of the Apostles. It's also one of the underlining themes in the epistles. Because the epistles are just showing us how to live within the kingdom of God. And Jesus is our king. Therefore, he brings the kingdom. Uh, so, therefore, it is a monarchy. Uh, we don't get a vote. We don't get a say-so. We follow the king. He rules. He reigns. We follow. We are the subjects. Okay? Um, but he's a good king. He's not a taskmaster that uh, uh, is, is, is a bad king. So, verse 4. He says, And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. So he's telling them, Don't leave Jerusalem yet. Because remember, they were supposed to go out and start preaching the gospel. But he says, Stay together. Uh, because there's something that's going to happen that's going to affect the church age. Something is going to happen that affects the kingdom of God. He says, stay stay together and wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. Now this is going back to John uh, chapter 14 and 15, where it talks about, Jesus says, it's better that I go and I will ask the Father and he will send you another helper. Okay, this is the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get into in a second. So he just tells them to wait uh, for the promise of the... Uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in verse 5, he says, For John baptized with water, 
but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, now next week when we get into this, we realize this is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. Pentecost means 50. So 50 days from Passover. 50 days from when he enacted uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is when the church age starts. So he tells them, he teaches them for 40 days, right? And then for about another seven, because remember there was three days where he was in the tomb, resurrected. Uh, so for another seven days, he tells them, stay together and wait for the gift that has been promised. And that happens on Pentecost, uh, Feast of Pentecost, which we'll get into next week. So gathering them together, command them not to leave Jerusalem. Verse 4, wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you heard from me. And he said, John baptized with water. Remember, John's ministry was repentance, right? What comes before salvation? Repentance. We have to acknowledge our sins, acknowledge that our sin separates us from God. But he says, John baptized with water, uh, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now remember, baptism means change. Okay? Water baptism. Why do we do water baptism? Because it's an outward sign of what's going on inwardly. We lay the old body down, the old person down, the new person comes up. Right? So, what's going to happen? When the Holy Spirit comes, there's a change. Up until this point, there is no change. But once the Holy Spirit comes, and we're going to get to it in a second, everything changes. Now, when you read in your Bible, if you're in Genesis, the first uh, 12 chapters or so, you find out about creation, and you find out that God is, a, is, is creator. And that's the only picture that you would have if you just read the first first 12 chapters. But then later on, you know, you read about the patriarchs, and then you read about God as a redeemer. He redeems the, the people out of bondage. Uh, then you find out about priesthood. You find out that, you know, uh, he is our high priest. Uh, then you find out about kingship and all these things. And, and then you see how God is moving during, during those different times and uh, in, in, in how he's doing things in, in different eras. So what's going to happen, he says, stay together because not many days from now you're going to be changed. And that change is going to be the change that is needed for the church age to begin. That change, the giving of the Holy Spirit, is basically what plugs the church in. Okay, Because in the Old Testament, you have the Holy Spirit was on someone to do a task. You know, and once they did that task, the Holy Spirit wasn't on them anymore. And it wasn't poured out on all the people. It was just on select people to do a particular thing that God was doing. Well, all of that is going to change. And this is this baptism that he's talking about. Now realize, if you're that first audience, you don't know what's going to happen. We kind of know if we know the story. But realize, you know, they're gathering together and there's got to be, you know, what's going to happen? What's, what's, what's going on? What is this change? You know, and, and, and how is this going to affect us? So they're thinking this in their minds. What's going to happen? What's going to become of us? What, what, what are, are we going to be doing? So verse 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, what they wanted, even in the Gospels, they wanted Messiah to come and conquer Rome because Rome was oppressing them. They were living under Roman rule. Uh, and what they wanted was Messiah to come and now defeat all their enemies and so that the you know, kingdom would be restored to them. They would be back in the days of uh, like David and, and Solomon, you know, the, the high point of the Old Testament period. And so that's why he says, are you now restoring the fortunes of, of, of Israel? You know, and so again, they're not in tune with what the church age is going to be. They're still in tune with what they want. Okay? So they, they have to understand, God's not doing what you think he's going to do. He's going to do something completely different. We call it, you know, a paradigm shift. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a total shift in the way you approach God. 
It's a total shift shift in the way God speaks to us. It's a total change in what God is doing. It doesn't change what he said and how he said it, but it changes how we are to now go out and do certain things. So, thoughts, questions on that before I go any farther? Okay, so... uh, Verse 7, And he said to them, It's not for you nor the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, he says, you know, you're, you're worrying about a bunch of stuff here. It's not for you to know these times when God is going to do this and when he's going to do that. Or, you know, it's, 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 it's to follow what God is doing today. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times, chase a rabbit here real fast. I remember when I first really started studying the Bible, uh, I was fascinated and I wanted to know, like a lot of people do, about the book of Revelation. And that's probably the worst place to start because it's so confusing, even if you've studied for a long time. It's really not that hard, but for a lot of people, because of the visions and all the different things, it's a little confusing. But, you know, I was really wrapped up, well, what happens at the end? Okay, well, that's all fine to know, but meanwhile, I'm missing what God wants me to do today. And here's the danger, that we get wrapped up, and well, what's, what's God going to do? When, when is he going to come back? And when is he going to, well, we know he's coming back. We know there's going to be the war of wars. We know all this stuff is going to happen. But our concern should be more, what is God doing today? You know, it's good to know the direction we're going, but if we spend so much time and wrapped up in that, we miss what God is doing today, right? So, he says, it's not for you to know God has fixed these times by his own authority. And, you know, Alpha and Omega, definite beginning, definite end, all these things, you know, God has fixed, so God knows when these things are going to happen. Uh, we just intersect uh, God's plan wherever we are uh, in what God is doing. God doesn't change. God doesn't say, uh, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. God doesn't say, well, I didn't think about that. God knows everything from let there be light. Everything was fixed uh, to the end of the age. Thoughts, questions? Now, here's the most important part of the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, right here. This you should circle, underline it. Uh, this is the most important part of Acts. This is what we need to know. This is what we need to lock down and get this part clear. Because if we get this part clear, then the church age makes sense. Or turns out right. Verse 8. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Okay. Bottom line. What happens in Acts 1.8, he says, you are going to be empowered to do ministry. So when we get next week to the Holy Spirit coming down, uh, it's to empower the people to do ministry. Now, this is something God had not done before. And this is what's different about the church age. Because up until this point, the Holy Spirit was just on a few to do certain things. Now the church, when we enter the the kingdom of God, we become the church. As I say, we're called to the cross for salvation. Then we're sent from the cross, now empowered by God to do ministry. That's why we can now do things that we could not do before because we are empowered to do it. And what are we empowered to do? Preach the gospel. And if you've been uh, watching our, 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 our telecast on Facebook on, on how to witness, on, on how to share the gospel, you realize that, you know, there's a way to do it, but the empowerment 
comes from the Holy Spirit. In other words, what are we what are we trying to do? We are trying to we're sharing the word of God, but it is the Holy Spirit that convicts the sinner, just like we've been convicted, realizing that we're a sinner. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it now empowers us. That's why we say, well, I don't know how to lead someone to Christ. I, I can't do this or I can't do that. Our job is to just be ambassadors for Christ, deliver the message. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work. Okay? And this gets tweaked and it gets a little goofy because sometimes now they get this idea of the Holy Spirit is now empowering us to do something different. Where now I'm empowered by God and now I can do X, Y, and Z and I can do this and I can do that. He makes it real clear here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. In other words, you shall preach the gospel. goes right along with Matthew 28. You know, go out and preach the gospel. Making disciples. And so this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why when we go out and evangelize, when we go out and preach the gospel, we're not going alone. God is with us. You see, when Jesus arrived, he said, you shall call his name Emmanuel when he was born. Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God is with us. And remember, now Jesus is telling them in John chapter 14, he says, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as, or, as orphans. I'm going to go back to the Father, but he's going to send you another helper, another comforter. God is now with us. And this is the important part, is this is how God is speaking to the church. This is how God is empowering the church. This is how 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 God is communicating uh, in this dispensation, in this time, via the Holy Spirit. Um, what he says in, in, in John, he says, you know, the, the Holy Spirit will bring remembrance of all the things that I've taught you. And a lot of times, you know, you're when you're when you're out witnessing or you're sharing the gospel or something, and all of a sudden you're you're trying to share something with someone, and then all of a sudden you you're thinking, well, I don't remember scripture, I can't quote scripture. All of a sudden, now it's there, and you're saying it, and you're bringing it out because you're now empowered by God. God is helping you remember what it is you need to remember to deliver that message, and so this is extremely important. Because in in Genesis, we just find out about God as a creator. God's created all things. We don't have an outcome. We don't have an end. We just He's created all things. So we get this picture of God as creator. Right? But it's not until Exodus that now we get this picture. Uh, and he's a promise maker. We don't get that he's a promise keeper yet. He's made promises in Genesis... But we don't get into later where he keeps those promises. In in Exodus, we find out he's a redeemer. Redeems the people. And this is important because the Old Testament is pointing to the cross. Jesus Christ is our what? Our redemption. He is our redeemer. Right? And so, you know, this is following this, this, this pattern. You know, and then, you know, and then later on, uh, it talks about kingship. You know, in the you know, he is our king. Uh, before that, it talks about the priesthood. You know, you know, he is our high priest who does what? Seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. You know, so again, all that Old Testament stuff, how God's revealing Himself, He's He's showing Himself in bits and pieces uh, of. of of who he is and how he uh, reacted with the people in those days. But once the cross comes, and Jesus says it's finished, and now we're in the New Testament period where the kingdom of God has come, now God is, is, is now speaking to us a different way. You know, Because where is God right now if you're a believer? It's in the inside. Now it's not, well, I had a hunch or, or something told me. No, it's, 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 it's God witnessing on the inside of you. That's why when we know we're supposed to do something, you know, in Christianese we call it, well, I had that unction to do something. 
or I felt, you know, God was calling me to do something and, and, I, and I just did it. Or when we don't do it, then we feel that conviction of like, I knew I should have did something. I knew I should have said something. I knew I should have stepped out. And, and I'll give you an example. I've used this, this example before. Uh, we used to go to church way out in uh, Culver City. One day we were coming home from Culver City and we were on the 5 freeway. And there was a traffic accident. We just came up on the traffic accident. And it had just happened. It was a very, very bad traffic accident. And, and, and something on the inside of me said, pull over and see if someone needs help. But my brain said, who am I to do that? My brain said, I can't get out of the car. This is a freeway. My brain said, uh, you know, well, I, I, I see the ambulances there. There's nothing I can do. My, my, my brain said, I, I, I don't need to get involved in this. Even though my heart was saying, you know, uh, you need to pull over and you need to, you need to, you need to get involved in this. I went home. And once I got far enough away from home, off of the freeway, I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, who are you? And at that point, I just felt so small. Because I realized I was supposed to stop. I was supposed to say something. And I got so convicted. Nobody said anything to me. My family didn't say anything to me. It was what was said to me. But I knew what was being said to me was right. You know, and at that point, I, I just totally repented. And I said, God, I am so sorry that I didn't listen to you. I will never, ever do that again. If there's ever another opportunity to do that, I will, I will, I will not hesitate to do that. And then about maybe five, six, seven years later, I don't know how long it was, I was driving home from seminary. Same sort of thing, right? First car on a wreck. It was a terrible, horrible wreck and, uh, and pulled over. And one person was dead on the inside of the car. Two other people were, were uh, uh, mangled on the inside of the car. As it happened, the two people that showed up and got out of the car first was myself and the other was a paramedic. And then there was the, a car was racing and it hit a bus flat on like that. And then all of a sudden I realized there was, it looked like a war zone. There was parts everywhere to the car. The motor was over here. The axle was over there. There was all this. There was just the shell of the car where these people were, were, were in this car. And then there was tire tracks of where the bus went off the road. And it was, oh my God, where is the bus? And it went down this embankment. It's on Rosemead. Uh, and you do, if you go down Rosemead, you see there's an, there's an area there, Rosemead, uh, uh, right after Whittier Narrows, where it kind of goes up like this, and there's an embankment down like that. That's where the bus went down, and off in the distance I saw, I saw the bus. And, and you know, I, I ran over there, and, and the bus driver was there. And so I ministered to the bus driver. He was he was just all up, all upset, you know, and this and that, you know. And, and there were some people there who had who had seen it, and they said, you know, the bus driver was it was nothing he could do, you know. And I and I told the bus driver, I said, uh, I said, I said it was a miracle your bus did not flip. I said God was really with you. Because it's it's a steep embankment, and you got this bus, and this bus could have flipped with those people in there, and it, and it went over, and so I'm there, and meanwhile the helicopters are coming and all this stuff, because the whole street it, it's, it's just it's just a war zone, and so uh, I ministered to him for, for a little while, and, and then got back in the car and left, didn't think anything of it, and so. Um, now, when I, later that night, the 11 o'clock news, it was the lead story on the 11 o'clock news, and they were showing the picture from the air and all this devastation.
and uh, they were talking to the bus driver. And the bus driver was saying, because when I, I, I talked to the bus driver, and I told him, I said, you know, it was God that watched over you. And he was just kind of down. And when I said the word God to him, all of a sudden he picked up. And he said, yeah, God must have been watching out for me. So then that night on the news, they go to talk to the bus driver. And he's just saying, it was God. Thanks to God, you know. So the point here with all of this is that you bring God into the situation, but it's the Holy Spirit that enables you to say and do whatever it is that needs to be done. We just have to follow what God is doing. And this is the empowering of the Holy Spirit because our brain will say, no, I can't do this or I shouldn't do that. But you don't know what effect it will have so that night on the news, I don't know how many people heard this guy giving praise and honor and glory to God because of what would happen, you know. So all things work together. Verse 9, any questions on that? Empowering of the Holy Spirit? Because we're going to be talking about that more next week and in the next couple of weeks because that's the important part of this passage is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So verse 9 to 11. It said, And then after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This is Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven and will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now this is important. This is doctrine. Belief statement. Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. How is he going to return? The same way he left. This is important. This is why in Thessalonians it says, with the sound of a trumpet, the Lord will return. And those that will, will meet him in the, in the sky. And so, you know, people that, that follow people that over the years that have claimed to be Jesus or whatever, number one, number one thing, if you know they say, well, I didn't see you coming out of the clouds. So, you know, in my book, uh, no, that, that's, a, that's a red flag. Because Jesus is going to return coming out of the clouds and and we will see him and it says you know and their hearts will be pierced those that you know uh, did not believe in him so this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven he's, he's going to return the same way so verse 12 then they returned to Jerusalem with from the mount called Olvet, or the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, uh, Judas, the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Now, this is the important part here. They all had one mind. We're continually devoting themselves to prayer. You know, all of them. And the other thing there, well, why does it say all of a sudden, well, the, the women were there and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and his brothers? Before this, men and women did not pray together. In the Old Testament time, men and women were separated in the temple. You had the court of the of the women; they could just only look down on what was going on. This is new. Now you have everyone praying together with one mind, uh, and so it's kind of interesting that this is something that we should still be doing today, with one mind, continually devoting ourselves. To prayer. This is what we're called to do. 
you know. Uh, now here's some structure. Verse 15. It says, And at this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. By the way, Peter is a, is the leader of the early church. Uh, for about the first nine chapters, Peter is the main guy. And after that, it's going to be Paul. So we'll get to that in a couple of weeks and why and how that happens. But the leader of the early church, <clears throat> the one who preaches the first two recorded sermons in the in the of the New Testament time, is Peter. Verse 15. At this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons were together and said. So now we find out there's 120 of them together. Right? Uh, there's 120 of them. Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, notice, brethren, going back to scripture, scripture had to be fulfilled. Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the word. I came to what? Fulfill. And which the Holy Spirit foretold. So who is the one who is the author of Scripture? Holy Spirit. See, you, you get this in other passages, but the point here is consistency. Okay? Uh, had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open into the middle, and all his bells gushed out. You don't get this in the Gospels. You get that, that he died, but here it talks about, you know, little, little yucky, uh, you know, his bowels all gushed out. Verse 19, And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that their own language that field field was called uh, Nama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms that his homestead be made desolate. That's Psalm 69. And let no man dwell in it. His office let another man take. That's Psalm 100, quoting David. Verse 21. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied all of us, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until that day he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. In other words, they're saying we need to replace Judas. Now this is structure. Because there was 12 apostles, right? And don't forget, there were 12 tribes of Israel. So the word, the number 12 would resonate with them, Right? So there was 12 tribes of Israel uh, foreshadows what God is going to be doing in the New Testament. There were 12 apostles. So verse 23. And they put forward two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these to thou hast chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So they're saying, we, God, we need to replace one of this. And they're praying and they're asking God to show them. Now remember, this is before the giving of the Holy Spirit. This is important. They're asking God according to the Old Testament way of praying and doing things. They were asking God. So verse 26, And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay? That's the way they did things in the Old Testament. You know, if they couldn't decide something, they would draw lots, uh, meaning that they would, uh, say, have... uh, Ten sticks and one would be shorter, and you would all draw. And the one who drew the the shorter of the stick, that was the one. Uh, it was that kind of thing. They they Old Testament theology is nothing is chance. Everything is ordered by God. 
So we look at it and say, why? Well, you just roll on the dice. That's chance. No. In the Old Testament, they do not perceive anything that happens that is not ordered by God. And sometimes this gets lost in the New Testament. That in the, this is the providence of God. God causes all things to happen. Right? God is the one. He's the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our our faith. He causes all things to happen. So for them to draw lots, they're not saying we're putting it for chance because they prayed and they asked God, then they drew lots. So their faith and trust is that the one who picked the lot, the shorter stick or however they did it, that was going to be the one God wanted. But then once that comes to the New Testament period, when you have the Holy Spirit here, now you don't have that kind of stuff anymore. It's a different way of doing things. So I'm going to hold it right there. Uh, so Matthias is added as an apostle. This is church structure. Uh, and again, apostles are important because apostles were the early leaders of the church. They were the ones that were going to go out and establish churches. They were the ones that were being sent out. Today we call them missionaries. Or they used to call them missionaries. Now they call them church planters. Same thing. An apostle, missionary, church planter. They establish churches where there are no churches. That's what an apostle does. That's what a missionary does. We take up a Lottie Moon offering for our for our 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 our, 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 mission, our missionaries overseas. What are they doing? They're out establishing churches and, and helping churches grow. The same way we're going to read in the book of Acts that when Paul does his missionary journeys, he's going out helping those early churches be established. So that's why, as a denomination, we have missionaries and we support missionaries because that's the biblical model. Right? Some people are going to stay with the local church. Others are going to go out uh, a few miles and establish things. Others are going to go the long distance and really go out where nobody's ever gone before. You see, it's, it's one thing to establish a neighboring church. Like, say, years ago when, when the churches, just say the, the Baptist churches in this, in this region, you know, Bellflower, Artesia, Norwalk, uh, they all kind of came up around the same time. And, but they're in the same sort of lo- location. Long Beach came up. And so they're in the same sort of location. Uh, so they could communicate and they could share things uh, with one another. But now think if somebody was now going to go out to Palmdale and establish a church. They have no connection out there. They're going to be on their own. So that, that, that was a missionary work. That was an apostolic work. And it's a different breed of cat because it's like if we if we if we if we if we establish a church off of this one, well, we can support it and we can talk, we can be there, we can be there for them. But the church that we have no way of of being in constant communication with physically, uh, they're they're just out there. You know, that's missionary, that's church planting. So that's the way the church is is developed. But this is kingdom of God. It's kingdom of God. So Jesus brings the kingdom of God, and this is how the kingdom of God is works and established. So I'm stop there. Any thoughts, questions, comments? We good? I had a comment on, on, on Judas. Put your mask on so, so we can hear you. It's a little muffled. Oh, hey, comment a on Judas. Question with regards to Judas. So here in Acts, they basically tell what happened. He bought a field. And he committed suicide in that field, basically. Basically, yeah, with that with that money that he had, it fulfilled prophecy as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so you know that that brings up a whole nether little theological issue on 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 Judas. You know, Judas was doing was Judas doing what he wanted to do. But was he doing what he had to do? Was Judas programmed to do it? Or did God know beforehand he was going to do it? So it's, it's different. If it's a prophecy, if it's a prophecy, then he knew beforehand, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, God knew he was he was going to do it, and it's part of the 
part of the process of, of looking at it, it without Judas you don't have the work on the cross because Judas had to betray and there's a whole thing there I'm not going to go too far into it but when you think about it when when someone hurts you or someone sins against you what what is the is the one thing that hurts you more than anything else is betrayal when someone is close to you and they betray you and so this is someone that was very close to Jesus someone that was trusted and there that was that betrayal so now it's it's, it's kind of like uh you know, we can't say, oh, God, you don't know what I'm going through. Because God knows. God knows. And, and there's, there's that act of betrayal there. And so all, all those things, you know, uh, come together. And so, you know, and then it also says <coughs> Satan entered into him, you know, to do what he did. So that's a, that's a whole other thing there. So, but good point. Any other questions on that? Yeah, so next week we're going to get, next week, Acts chapter 2 is when the church actually begins. Right now, the church isn't really the church because they're just going into the temple. Uh, they're, they're staying together. Uh, they're going to, next week, they're, they're all together. They're going to celebrate one of the feasts of Israel, one of the seven feasts of Israel. They're, they're there together to do that, and then that's when the Holy Spirit comes, and then that's when the first sermon is, is preached. At that point, it becomes the the church. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which sometimes is referred to as the baptism of fire, because when the Holy Spirit came down, the way it's described, it's it's described as of tongues of fire. It's just trying to describe something, you know. Uh, there, so it's it's referred to that way. So, we good? Okay. So next week you can be ahead. We'll be in Acts chapter two, but let me just. Uh, Close us in a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for uh, the Gospels. We thank you for all that we learned, uh, all that we've understood about Christ, all that we've understood about our role, what it truly means to have salvation through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, now as we go into our study in the Acts of the Apostles, Lord, in the account of the early church, what does it mean to us individually and corporately as a body of Christ? So, Lord, during this time of study, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you for uh, being the teacher of this class, being the one who guides us in our understanding, Lord, because we all uh, come from different places with different thoughts, Lord, but you know how to minister to all of us. And so we just thank you for that. And so in all of this, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. See you next week.